Jesus, I thank you so much for your great love. And Lord, we thank you for being able to sing some songs to you and worship you, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts and giving you thanks and praise. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of all the different people here and how, Lord, you are giving us uh, a fresh uh, dose of your Holy Spirit, a fresh filling, Lord God. And some of our lives, Lord, we could just coming back to you. Lord, some of us are leaving sin. Some of us have left sin. Some of us need to leave sin. Lord God, so that we can serve you just with a, a, a pure heart and be able to receive and understand and know your deep love for us. God, sin is not a challenge for you. It's not a problem for you. You have completely taken care of our sin as far as the penalty goes and the distance it keeps us from you. And God, you are longing for us to run back into your arms. Even, even Lord, if we've been walking with you for many years, God, there's can, there can be a time where just fresh understanding of your love. And I remember what Paul uh, said when he taught us that we would understand the, the height, the width, the depth, uh, and know the great love of Christ which passes understanding. God, no, not a single one of us in here understands your love. We may think we understand, but Lord, we don't. We may think we feel your love, but Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to be united with us, Lord. We need to to know something that can only be supernaturally known. So, Lord, we do ask for your help. We ask for your help to understand the scriptures, Lord, because we got, we got some interesting verses here that may challenge us and maybe challenge the way we thought about things. Or maybe we have preconceived notions when we come into these verses, Lord, that need to be changed, Lord God. But our, our God is not our way of looking at things, our system of believing. God, our God is, is you, Jesus. And Lord, we submit to that as our authority, not a system of believing. God, we do believe your, your word develops a consistent view of who you are. And we don't have to try to fight to change what that view is. Your word is perfect in every way. And so, Lord, I pray you would use your perfect word to, to revolutionize our thoughts and our heart this morning. Lord, please fill me with your spirit. Let my words just be exactly what you want to be said today. Amen. Last week, we, looked, uh, we talked about an overview of the book of Ephesians. And we talked about how Ephesians is going to be basically a manual or a handbook for how we should be the church. How to be the church. What the church gets, what the church is. And I, I had a great time studying for last week and, and presenting that. And, and it, it, uh, it was neat when we looked at the church. So here's the question for today that we're going to start with. Is the church all about rituals? You know, uh, the, I was watching a TV program last night and it was, it was just disheartening, huh? We were watching it and it was, it was, it was showing, it was, a, it was a sitcom and they were showing uh, just their impression of church, I think. You know, and it was it was really sad because it was all ritual and liturgy and 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 very um, not heartfelt. And that's what I felt like. And when I was growing up, we went to a Catholic church sometimes uh, when my dad wasn't working. <laughs> and we uh, we would go to this Catholic church and I, I was I was um, I struggled with it because I didn't feel heartfelt. It didn't feel real until I started coming to a church that started teaching the Bible verse by verse. And so it was a struggle for me. Um, 
you know, and, and so we have some churches today that still have these rituals. And that's kind of the idea that the world has out there is that churches, you know, you go to church and you stand up, sing some songs, sit down. You've got to sit down in the right place. And if you stand up at the wrong time, you're going to blurt something out. It's going to be really embarrassing. And that's kind of what was going on in that show last night. It was funny. You know, it's not just Christian churches that have these rituals either. Did you know that there's a church of Satan out there? And, this, and it has, uh, they have satanic sins where, you know, you wouldn't think, honestly, that the church of Satan would, would have a set rules. <laughs> You'd think they'd be like, no rules here. But in fact, they actually have rules. Uh, they range from stupidity to lack of aesthetics are their rules. Uh, my favorite, though, is uh, the herd conformity sin. So, uh, you know, they, they say that it's wrong for you to just follow a crowd and do whatever they're doing. So follow our crowd and do what we're doing. That's, that's their idea. Um, you know, Mormonism has their uh, temple underwear, garments, their magic underwear that they have to wear. That's kind of a weird tradition, weird ritual. If you, if you believe in shamanism, uh, the, a big part of their religion is getting high to, and maybe, you're th- maybe I'm at the wrong church, but <laughs> that's, that's how they enter into a, a spiritual state, they say. And there's even a Jedi church. <laughs> I don't even, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what traditions they have, but they probably involve watching movies with their little friends. But I stand here today, and you guys are sitting here today, and we're at church, and I believe we're in the real, true church of God. We're not the only church, but we are a, the church of God. The, what, the church that Jesus established, you and I are at a, a, a branch of it right today. This is a, a part of it. And this is the real deal, I believe. And it's, we're not just wasting our time or making up a magical force story that they made movies out of. You know, where we don't, and I don't even think I'm wearing magical underwear right now. I don't think. <laughs> and so you hear that, and you might be thinking, how can you be so prideful to think that you're the only true church? To think that, that this, we have it right, and all those other churches have it wrong. Aside from the obvious, but there's other churches too. And that's a great question, and the answer is, because God says so. It's not on my authority that I make these claims. I'm just believing the word of God. So if you wanted to label me something, I guess you could say, I'm the church, we are the church here that believes in the word of God. That's the kind of church that we are. The Bible says he chose to start this thing called the church. So he's into this church. He chooses to use it as the main way that he reaches the world today. And he actually chooses each and every member by hand. He chooses. And so our, our, the title of the message today is called Choosing Teams. Choosing Teams. He's up in heaven picking teams, it seems like, um, and he actually chooses you. What a great team to be on. It's nice to be picked for a team for once, although if I was the one picking the team, I'm not sure I would have picked the, the group of people we have in here. But hey, God is, is in charge and he, he picked all of us. So, I wasn't talking about you. (laughs) That's, well, yeah. 
So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, I'm just going to read it to you. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many of you were wise according to the flesh, and not many were mighty, and not many noble are called. See, we're a ragtag group of people here in this church. Hey, let's get an amen on that one. Uh, and that is so that God can get the credit when we succeed in changing the world, which is going to be awesome. We're already seeing the Lord use this group of people so mightily, even with all our, our messed up stuff that we have going on in our lives. Some of you guys have some messed up stuff, and I do too. But the Lord has chosen us to change the world. And then when we do, he's going to get the credit. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21 says, To him be the glory in the church. To him be the glory. By Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Which means this is never going to change. This is the way God, as long as there is a church, and as long as there is a world with the church in it, this is the way that God is going to change the world. And so that he can get the credit. He's never going to pick the mighty. He's never going to pick the smart people. He's never going to give you a great pastor that is just so funny to listen to that you can't, you just love coming to church. He's never going to do it. Because he wants you to go and sometimes listen to the boring guy because there's truth, there's power in the word of God. And when he shows up mightily and he changes your life through the boring guy, he gets the credit. Not that guy's talent. Again, I said this the first week of our church. If people start coming to hear me preach, I, we may have gone a wrong direction in our church. I want them to come. I want people to come. I want you to be able to invite your friends. And I don't want you to say, come here, a pastor, or come here, worship. I want you to say, man, this church loves Jesus and they're filled with the Holy Spirit because there's no other explanation for how it's so awesome. Or the power that I see there. People having victory over sin and lives being changed can't happen through someone convincing them, someone having a conversation or just talking. It doesn't work that way. So now we come to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going we're gonna to go through the book of Ephesians verse by verse because that's what we do at church. That's what we should do at church anyway, is go verse by verse through the scriptures. And so after 50 years of us being at church, hopefully I can say we got through Ephesians. <laughs> Maybe twice, just kidding. <laughs> it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So, if we're picking teams, Paul is like our quarterback. I like that. He's kind of the leader of our team, and he's the one writing this letter. That's right, this guy who was an accomplice to murder, dragging people out of their homes, Gestapo-style, throwing them in prison for just believing in Jesus. He had such hatred for the Gentiles that he was one of the head leaders of the We Are Jews, Jews and We Are Awesome Club, called the Sanhedrin. And God thought he would receive the most glory, maybe he just thought it was funny, to pick Paul as our quarterback. It's kind of like you're out... On the school playground, you're picking teams, and you pick the, the smallest, weirdest guy to be your quarterback, who doesn't seem to have many skills. And in fact, he's kind of a jerk. You pick him to be your quarterback, what? And your coach is like, don't worry, I got it taken care of. So God picks him. Actually, it's more amazing than it is funny. Um, 
And, and because, like we described, God is the one that gets the glory. He's the one that we're amazed at for his power, love, and grace to change a man's life and use him like Paul was used. So Paul is the one who is writing this letter. And he's writing it to the saints. And this also says to the faithful, those faithful saints. There's our team name. If we're a team, that's our team name, the saints. Not the New Orleans saints. Boo. And what characterizes the people on this team? Faithfulness. That's our ticket in. That's our desirable quality. It's not how fast we are, how good we can catch the football, or how smart we are, how talented we are, what gifts you have. It's our faith. Your ability to trust Jesus. That's all we bring. That's the the ticket to get on the team. Your faith. Just, just your ability to trust Jesus. Now, who here has the ability to trust Jesus? Every one of us does. You guys have that ability. You can bring that to the table. And so God says you're on the team. Now, look at verse 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the order. He says grace first and then peace because that's how it works with God. You have to understand how to live by grace before peace ever becomes the dominating characteristic of your life. Some people are peace predators. It's like they're always hunting for peace. They're looking for it over here. They're looking for it over there. And they say, hey, you have some peace. You have some peace. So let me go hang out with you and spend all my time with you and suck out your joy and peace. (laughs) Peace predators, I call them. Because they don't know where to find peace on their own because they're looking for it. They're looking for the high without the source. They're looking for peace without grace. Peace is not something to be sought after. Peace is a natural side effect or a byproduct of trusting in the Lord Jesus and in his resources, which is grace. That's what grace is. Peace is just the byproduct of it. And maybe you're thinking in your life, man, I've been searching for peace in all the wrong places. And the Lord just wants you to trust him. And then peace will begin to flow out of your life. We need to stop trusting in our own abilities. We need to give up on that or surrender. And peace will flow like a river out of your heart. And how many of you have found that to be true? The moment you give up and stop trying... God gives you peace. It's just this huge release saying, why was I trying so hard to make God happy? Why was I trying so hard to stop sinning? Why was I trying so hard when it was there all along? It was just, I just had to understand that Jesus loved me and wants me to give up and just trust him. Hmm. Grace equals renouncing self-sufficiency. Trusting in Christ's sufficiency for everything. Our answer to every challenge or trial is, I don't got it. I don't have this. But he does, and I trust him. I love him, and I praise him when he takes care of it, in the process of him taking care of it, or looking forward to him taking care of it in the future. I trust him. That's how we live by grace. Another simple explanation. The next part we're going to read here is verse 3 through verse 6. And I want you to understand, as we read this, 
It is one sentence. And all I have to say about that is, Paul, you need to calm down a little bit. He says here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us according uh, us to adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Paul is the master of the comma. You think there should be a period, but he just puts a comma in there. And it's like he has this one thought and he's trying to spill it all out. And I'm like, Paul, calm down. That's like an entire book you just put into one sentence and it's a little overkill. But it's so glorious that people have been looking at this sentence for 2,000 years in awe at the depth of God's character that is spilled out to us in this sentence. This is like, this sentence is like our team motto. <laughs> so I, I looked up some mottos because I was looking at this and I'm like, okay, we're thinking of it like a team. And All right, so a church, like a team. Okay, so team motto. So we could be like Nike, which is just, just do it, right? Well, we could do that as a church, right? I could just get up here and say, just do it. Let's go home. And you all would be like, yeah, but I can't do that. Like, I messed up. That's why I came in here, because I can't do it. So I need you to teach me how to, okay, so Nike doesn't work for us. What we could do, you know, a good, a good company, Apple. You guys like Apple? Who likes Apple? My wife hates it. I love it. It's a point of joy in our life. And their motto is, think different. You know, maybe we come into church and we'll just say, just think different. Just, this is just a different place. But that really doesn't work either. You know, AT&T, their motto is, rethink possible. So, I know you guys have tried really, really hard to be good, peaceable, good people, but let's just rethink what's possible. Because you think it's impossible right now, but let's just re- But that doesn't work either, does it? So, these mottos are failing us even though Apple's a good company. IBM is just, their, their motto is just think. <laughs> so they gave up on all the other stuff. They're just, just think. Like, please, just think. Google, and I didn't know this, and this is quite amazing to me. You know what their motto is? Anyone have any idea what Google's motto is? You know what it is? Don't be evil. What? <laughs> what? I have never seen a Google commercial that just said, don't be evil. But what a great motto for a church. <laughs> Don't be evil. <laughs> that's going to be our children's ministry motto. <laughs> Don't be evil. <laughs> uh, so that's a possibility. It could have been what Paul said. He could have been on the cutting edge of Google. Or Panasonic, it says, ideas for life. So if they, they're like, if you want to have a good life, here's some ideas for you. Here's some ideas. Just try them out. Safeway is ingredients for life. Eh. It's an all right one. It makes sense because you're buying ingredients there. I, I get it. So you're thinking, we couldn't have a short motto like these guys. Why couldn't we have a short motto like these guys? That would have been great. Instead, we get this sentence that's like 800 words long and has like 40 topics in it as our motto. Um, maybe we deserve 
a better motto because we're a better company than all those companies. We're not a company. But we talked about last week that the church is the most well-run, organized, rich organization, effective, fruitful organization in the entire history of the world. But it doesn't even know it. It has old victory. It never fails. And its employees actually go to heaven. <laughs> the people who are part of the club actually go to heaven. And this is... Cr- and. And yet the church doesn't know it. So maybe we just deserve a better motto, and that's why it's so long. So let's break down this, this sentence. We're getting through one whole sentence today. Let's break down this sentence so that we can understand what our team is all about here. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to bless God, to make him happy or to please him, to cause him joy. That is the foundation of the church. It's about him and not us. So why should you be a part of the church? It makes God happy. But I would rather sleep in on Sundays. True. But it's not about you. It's about God. It's about what makes him. Well, that's pretty egotistical of the Lord. Well, when you're the Lord of the whole universe, you get to be egotistical. But it's not really egotistical because it's perfect. He knows that anyone who honors him, loves him, is, is completing what their soul was made for, is, is going to in turn have joy in their life. So, it's all about him. And he says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And we talked a lot about this last week, the, those heavenly places, which are basically anywhere that you are when you believe in the Lord. You get to partake in these heavenly places and these heavenly blessings. See, we don't desire to make him happy or bless him because we hope to receive his blessings in return. That's the backwards way to look at it. That's absolutely wrong. We bless him because we are already blessed. Because we're already part of the church. That's why we come to church and bless him. What blessings, you say? How am I blessed? Well, well, let's look at what it says here. This, teach, this, is, this sentence here teaches us the kind and location of these blessings that we have received. Number one, the kind of blessings, they're spiritual blessings. Not physical blessings, they're spiritual blessings. Not gold, silver, or nice cars. They are invisible to the world, invisible to the eye. There's these spiritual blessings. Yet, it's what the world longs for. It's why they're trying to get rich. They can't explain it. They can't put their finger on it. It's so complex for the world, yet it's so simple for a believer. There's been, an, there's, you know, guys, you watch TV. You turn on the TV on Sunday mornings or you turn on to the religious station and there's a heresy that is so popular by preachers on TV that says God wants you to be rich, drive expensive cars and live in luxury. And it's not true. It's absolutely foreign to the word of God and it's foreign to the disciples and Paul as well. Because we know in Philippians 4.11 he said, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So Paul was poor and in prison and he was content. And many people, many preachers out there, and I can name them by name or whatever, but you guys don't even need to know their names to stay away from them. If they're telling you God wants you to be rich, they're lying. 
Now, God may have riches in store for you. He may bless you with a good job. But that's a great challenge in and of itself, to be content. And in Luke 6, in speaking to his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And in that same chapter, he said, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your reward or your consolation. So, wow. Jesus tells, talks about that. First Timothy, Paul tells us how to relate to riches in the church in First Timothy 6, verse 9. He says, but those who desire to be rich, and this is in the church. Timothy is a pastor. Paul's teaching him how to be a pastor. And he says, listen, those people in your church that desire to be rich, they fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. Basically saying, it's bad news. If you have someone in your church who's trying to recruit other people to a pyramid scheme or who's trying to make money or anything, who's interested in that thing, he said, be careful of those guys. And then he goes in verse 17 of chapter 6 and he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty but, or nor to trust in these uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. See, the problem comes when we, in the church, desire to be rich. And we become prideful about it, and then we start trusting in riches. And this is a huge problem in America, because we think the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is in the Bible. And it's not. God didn't promise riches. But we in America think that if we don't live to this American standard of being happy all the time, which equates to riches in our minds, that we're somehow, that, that we're not getting it or we're not pleasing God or that's not what God has for us. And the truth is, God wants us to be content and he has given us richly all things to enjoy. Instead of having this desire for more, when we desire to understand what it means that he gave us richly all things to enjoy, and the New Living Translation says that their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I, he, he gives us everything you need to be happy. It's found in church. What? But the church has such a bad reputation and the chairs are so uncomfortable and, and the music's not that great and I don't really get it. But that's not what any of it's about. He says, if, you, if you're on this team, you have everything you need for enjoyment, for your joy, to have fun, to be pleased, to have pleasure in your life. God gives those things to you. And then he says, the second part of these blessings, these spiritual blessings, number one was the type of the third spiritual, number two is the location, which these spiritual blessings are in Christ. Where do we go to receive these blessings? Well, there's really... There, there's this really tall mountain in the Himalayas that you need to climb. And make sure that you have your shoes off and, and you have to go alone and you can't think about anything except the starving kids of Japan as you hike. No, that's not how the blessings of Christ work. All we need or desire or everything that will ever make you truly happy is in Christ. Every single blessing is given the same way. It's not half of them are given freely and the other half you have to earn by always going to church or always tithing or always doing the right thing. 
They're all given in Christ. The moment you believe, all of them, every single one. This means that every blessing we receive is in Christ. Every bit of progress you have made is because of your faith in and connection to Jesus, not your efforts. So if you've been making progress in your life and you see, hey, I'm not the person I used to be, the Lord has been working in my life, every single bit of that progress is from Jesus, not from you. You say, I need more love in my life. So I say, you need more Jesus. You say, I need more peace in my life. And the answer is, you need more Jesus. You say, I need more patience. And the answer is, you need more Jesus. It's a place that you can find. Did you know that? It's not hidden. It's accessible to everyone except the bad guys. (laughs) Jesus says, you know, they can't get in and steal God's blessings that are intended for you. It's protected. So why do we need these spiritual blessings? Great question. Here's a quote from David Guzak. If we have no appreciation for spiritual blessing, then we live at the level of animals. Animals live only to eat, sleep, entertain themselves, and to reproduce. We are made in the image of God, and he has something much higher for us, yet many choose to live at the level of animals. God wants us to know every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This also means that God wants to bless us with every blessing available to us. He wants you to know every single one of them. There should never be a time in your life when peace is foreign to you as a believer. When true joy evades you, where you just can't be loving, where long-suffering or kindness are absent from your heart, there's not a day that goes by in a life of of victory is not promised to every single one of the children of God. But that's not what I see. I fail. I fall and I doubt. But each of these failures and the consequences that follow... They're designed to teach us that the blessings are in Christ. Peace, patience, love, guidance, victory, all completely ours when we are in Christ and can be never given or earned outside of him. Why? Because that's how God decided it was going to work. And that makes people so mad as you're talking to them. They get all bent out of shape because God doesn't do things the way we think he should. And at his heart, that, that anger is, is pride and rebellion. And the sad thing is, it always leads to a great fall. When we think, well, I should be able to have peace apart from God. He shouldn't demand that I trust in his son. He should just give me peace when I ask for it. Or he should just do what I say. Or I should be able to just live my life and go to my this or do my that and be happy. Doesn't, I mean, isn't happiness, and the pursuit of happiness, is not in the Bible? And of course, the answer is no. We, sh- we have a, we are required. What's in the Bible is that you trust Jesus, and happiness comes after that. And that's just the way God says it is. But it makes people so mad, and you know what it does? It reveals a heart of rebellion inside them, doesn't it? When they're like, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy what the Bible says. And God, he's just mean to say that I have to trust in Jesus, and I can't do any of this on my own. When in fact, you and I know, as believers, that that's his love. 
Because we can't accomplish anything good on our own. So, the next part of the sentence says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So he's saying just as. He, so he's linking what he was just talking about, which is um, the, the spiritual blessings. So he's saying they work the exact same way as this choosing. This choosing and before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So all the blessings that are already given. So it's God's choice about whether or not he is going to follow through with us on this deal. It's his choice whether or not he's going to follow through. And he's already chosen that through this abiding relationship with Jesus, we should be holy and blameless because of his love. So that's what he's chosen. He's chosen the way things work. All your blessings, they're in Christ. That's what I've decided. That's what I've chosen. If you've got a problem with it, fine. you got a problem with me, though. And that's not good for you, because I'm God. Not me, I'm quoting God. But, so the cho- what's the choice here? Because people get all tripped up about this. And they start using this saying, so this means God chose some people to go to hell. All right, we're going to get into that, okay? But what I'm establishing here is he's saying just as, the same way the blessings work in Christ, where you're in Christ, so all the blessings are yours. And you're not in Christ, if you're not trusting him, are the blessings yours? No. Do you have access to any of them? No. And it plays out in their life. We can see they don't have peace, they don't have joy, they don't have all the blessings that God promised because they're not in Christ. So he says the choice works the same way. My choice of... Choosing you. So God chose you. But how can that be? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30 give us a great insight to how this works. Because it says, and you should probably turn there. It should probably be highlighted in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It's just a couple pages to the left. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. Says, so if God chose you, how can this be? How could God have chosen you? How could God do that? It says, For whom he foreknew, and that's the word that should be underlined, starred, and everything in your Bible, because it's so vitally important to giving us God's heart in this situation. God's heart is bound up in that word foreknew. For whom he foreknew, he he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he glorified. See, he predetermined that we would start to look like his son. He predetermined that in his son would salvation be. And then he called them, justified them, and glorified them. Everything we need is done by the Father. And he has committed to us that he is not going to change his decision because he decided it way before he made the world. Isn't that a great way to look at predestination? That God decided it's going to be in his son. 
and I, I've determined I'm not going to back away from that. And so we can put our trust in Him. We can choose to put our trust in Him because He chose to make Himself available to that. He chose that anyone who puts their trust in Him will be saved forever. Saved, sealed, all that. If you are in Christ, you have those blessings. If you trust Him. So, and does He know who He's doing this for? Does God know who He's doing this for? Of course. Because He has foreknowledge. That's what links this all together. That's what helps us to understand God's heart is the foreknowledge. He knows everything, right? He knew it beforehand. He knew who's going to believe in him and who's not going to believe in him. He knew us before we were born, before he created the world or anything, and he knew and decided that he would save those who come to his son in faith. So, will you choose to come to him in faith? And many of you have said, yes, I will. And is that a daily decision for you? Are you going to have to continue to trust the Lord in faith? It's a daily thing. Look at verse 5, back in Ephesians. He says, Having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. So do you want to be adopted as a son by Jesus to himself? That's what makes him happy. That's what brings glory to him, this says. It would be to the praise of the glory of his grace. It wouldn't be anything uh, you work for or earn. It's all grace. All God's work done for you. All, All about him and not about you. That's how he makes us accepted in the beloved. He just he's able to shower his love on us. You know, there's a um a story in Spain about this father and a son who had become estranged and the son ran away and the father set off to find him. And he searched for months and months and months but wasn't able to find his son. So finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, he put out an ad in the local paper. And it, the ad said, um All is forgiven. I love you. Come and meet me at the front of the newspaper office at 8 a.m. on Saturday. Paco is his name. Paco, I love you. All is forgiven. I love you, Paco. Come back. And it was amazing because on that Saturday, when he went out to the newspaper, there was 800 Pacos there waiting for their father. all waiting for the forgiveness and love from their fathers. And in Roman law, back, back in Rome in Jesus' time, when, when the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed, which means the person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all the rights of his own family. And in the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So, So new was he that even all his debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they had never existed. So our church, the church, all of this, it's not about us at all. It's about a group of orphans adopted 
by the richest dad in the world. That's the heart. And he's a great dad. <clears throat> Not like the, the two first graders that were overheard leaving a Sunday school class and one of them said, hey, do you believe all that stuff they were saying about the devil? And he said, no, I, I don't think it's like that. I think it's like Santa Claus. I think he's really your dad. So how many of you know that God has adopted you as his son, as, your, as his father, him as your father? Here's a little quiz to find out the answer. Do you believe in his son? Do you believe that he sacrificed his life for your sin on the cross? And do you love him? Do you love him? If yes, everything God has is yours. You are adopted. All peace, all love, all joy are completely yours, given to you. And if not, why not today? Why not believe and live, as the scriptures say? It's truly wonderful to be on this team, to be in our team, you know, and we're just a very small part of the body of Christ. But if, if, I look, if I'm looking at this as our team motto, man, I see God's wonderful, wonderful commitment to us. His promise and commitment to you that He's not going to let you fail. He's saying, if I've chosen you to be on my team, this team is going to win every time. And we won't lose the Super Bowl 43-8. to eight. So sad. But it will always be a victory. Does that mean you won't go through trials? No, because the trials of this life are designed and planned out so that you can reveal and shine his son to the world. So the trials of this life are what this game is about. So if you want to be on the team, you're going to go through trials whether you're on the team or not. You may go through more trials on our team. But that's designed that way because it's not about being comfortable. It's about winning. And any team, all the, the great you know, thing about Tebow, he was awesome, but the great thing about Tebow is that he worked hard and, and he, he knew that it wasn't about being comfortable. He, he didn't take time off. And that's why I liked Tebow. He was a great guy, right? He had a good work ethic. And as, as the church, you know, that, that's the same thing. Like we are going gonna to struggle you're going to go through trials. Your marriage is going to go like this. And then your kids are going to drive you crazy. And then you're going to have some awful death. And you're going to get touched by the sin of this world. And all of it is for a purpose. Because God loves you. And he wants us to shine the light of his son to the world. And that's where we're at. That's our, that's our team. That's the purpose of this team. So as we as a new church and, and everything, it's wonderful to have all of you guys here today. It's truly a blessing. And, and I'm so excited that each one of you was chosen by God to be here today, to hear something. And I don't know if it was something at the beginning or the end, or maybe it's in worship, or maybe you just got to meet someone. Maybe Kurt's muffins gave you a great day today. I don't know. But there's something about church that God had for you today. And I hope we don't miss out 
because we don't believe. So we're going to close in a time of worship and just spending some time with the Lord now. Um, so don't run out. This is not like, oh, church got out early. Let's go. <laughs> this is our time designed to, re- to reflect and respond to what the Lord has done in our life, okay? So let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we... Lord, first of all, I want to just say, Lord, that I'm, I'm thankful to you for your grace. I'm thankful to you for your promises of how you will never, Lord, let, the right, let those who trust in you be put to shame. And Lord, I see that here in these scriptures, Lord, how it's never going to be an iffy thing, whether you're going to come through for those whom you've chosen, those who have been brought into the body of Christ. You are always, always, always going to bring victory. And so, Lord, we want to just be your people right now to praise you and honor you. Lord, I pray if anyone needs to come make things right with you, God, that they would, they would just right now in, the, in these wooden chairs, Lord, that they would bow their heart before you and ask for your forgiveness. Lord, that they would trust what you did. And Lord God, we ask for a, your Holy Spirit, Lord, to fill us up, bring us that joy and that that peace, Lord God, that is ours. Lord, we believe, God, that these things are given to us because we are your son adopted into your family. And so, Lord God, we we just trust. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help those who are struggling to trust you to just let go and see how Surrendering can just be such a freedom to their life. Lord God, we just, we love you.